on the throne. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. We serve an amazing God. If you would open your Bibles with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 2. And as we're turning there, our children are dismissed to Kids Dome. So if you are in Kids Dome, you can go now. The Gospel of John, chapter 2. Good, very good. Praise the Lord Jesus. The Gospel of John, chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 1. When you got it, say so. And the word of the Lord says, On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Talk to your mama like that. Uh-huh. See, we're, we're going we're to talk about that. It sounds worse than what it is, but in English, it sounds bad. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing the 20, 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now. And take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Father, thank you so much for your word that is truth. Thank you so much for your grace that is sufficient. Thank you so much, God, for all that you are, for all that you do, God. You are all wise. You are all powerful. And this morning, Lord, we thank you because you are sovereign, God. This morning, we celebrated that, Lord God, and we want to Revel in that reality, God. You are sovereignly in control. You are seated, Lord God, on the throne of glory. And God, we humble ourselves before you today as your sons, as your daughters. And I pray that we would even be as Mary this morning, God, who sat at your feet, worried about nothing else, and heard your words. I pray this morning that our ears would be attentive to what you are speaking to your church and that we would not just hear what you're saying, but God, that we would be listeners, that our our, our ears are open and our hearts are filled with faith and that we would be doers of your word, God. Father, we want you to be glorified and we pray this all in Jesus' great name and everyone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, raise your hand really quickly and the ushers will get you an outline. Praise the name of Jesus. Keep your hand up if you don't have an outline. The outlines are very important for two reasons. The first reason is obvious, I think. It's so that way you can follow along. You have some way to take notes. It's not always um, easy to remember everything that is being spoken. Therefore, if you have an outline, it's easier for you to take notes. That's important. The second reason why these outlines are so important is because we utilize our notes to have discussions every week in our Connect Life groups. We meet weekly in different homes, different days of the week. 
We get together, we have a meal together, a time of fellowship where we can get to know one another a little bit better. And then typically what we do is we go and then we begin to discuss um, what the sermon was or what was preached. And so it's easier for you to write down. There's some questions that are in the outline. So we want to make sure that you are part of a Connect Life group. If you are not part of a Connect Life group, we highly, highly encourage everyone to become part of one. And you can see Pastor Chad Reyes who led us in communion and he will get you connected with the right Connect group for you. That's going to fit your schedule in a demographic of where you live. And one last thing that I'll say about that, and I like to remind you of this, is that sanctification is not meant to happen by yourself. And to be completely honest, you will not become completely sanctified all alone. Hello. Because you will think you are holy until you get around some other people who ain't holy. Because it's them that's not holy. You're holy, but they bring something out of you. I'm just saying, right? And so what happens is when we get together in relationship, we hear the preaching of God's word. God begins touching our heart, begins speaking to our lives. And then we get together in these smaller groups, and it's a little bit more intimate. And then people are able to call you to the carpet on what it, what it is you're saying that you've been convicted about. If you notice the last question that's on there, it's a practical question. Look at your outline. The last question that's on there, I don't have it memorized, but basically the question is based upon your answer, and how you were convicted and how the Lord spoke to you here, how are you going to live out this truth? And the reason why that question is there is because it is important that we go from the place, I pray this every week in some way, shape, or form, it's important that we go from the place of being hearers of the word of God to being doers of the word of God. And so Connect is not just a time for us to just talk about the Bible, but Connect is a time for us to open up and for us to be challenged in our faith. And we want to grow the way that God has called us to grow. Amen? And so it's a beautiful time for us to get together. So please get connected. We are continuing on in our series, The Real Jesus. And we're, we've gone through chapter one. And so looking at your outline thus far, just to recap, we've learned that Jesus is the Lagos of God, the creative, eternal word. He is the light and the life of all men and the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of this we learned in chapter one. We've seen witnesses in John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, and the reason why I put that in there is because John was not a Baptist. Hello. Right? Some people say that, and it was not true. He was the baptizer. He was the one who was baptized. I don't have anything against Baptists. You know, I love Baptists. I love all people. Amen. Glory to God. But he was John the baptizer. And um, we also see witnesses in Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, who testified of the divinity of Jesus and who Jesus was. So we've learned a lot of stuff. And so these truths alone would suffice in giving us a solid ground for our faith in Jesus, for salvation from our sins and eternal life with our God. And yet this is only chapter one. We still have 20 chapters to go. And so I want you to think about that because chapter one was filled with so much amazing doctrinal truth about who Jesus is. We have some clear witnesses, eyewitness testimony, people's lives were changed. And so that should be more than enough. Already what we talked about should be enough for you to walk by faith and just believe. If you didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God, if you didn't believe that Jesus could take away the sin of the world, you should believe that by now because we've seen so much in, in just one chapter. But we still have 20 chapters to go and so we're starting in chapter two. And here's what I want you to realize is that we notice something here. The, the title of this message is The First Sign. The first sign, because this was, as you see at the end, this was the first sign, verse 11. Let's look at it really quickly. We'll look back at it again. It says, this beginning of signs, or the first sign, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Say, manifested his glory. He manifested his glory, and the result of him manifesting his glory is his disciples believed in him. 
And so the reason why I want to point that out is because this third um, paragraph here in your outline, it says that we live in a day which the revelation of the glory of God is needed more than ever. You see, in that, in that time, the glory of God manifested, Jesus manifested his glory, and so belief was the result. And what I want you to realize is that God has to manifest himself unto people in order for them to be changed and for them to believe. Are you hearing me? And so our day is no different than those days. This, and in our days, we're not going to just um, convince people that they need Jesus. They need to be convicted before they're going to be convinced. Are you hearing me? You see, it's funny, yesterday we went to this, um, the, the, the Better Man event, and for all the guys that went there, can we just give our guys a hand? It was an awesome time. We had a great time. For those of you that couldn't make it, I'm really sorry that you couldn't make it, but you will be able to get in on our conversations that we're going to have following up as soon as I get the email. Um, from the Better Man Ministries, we're going to go through a four-week study about the topic of it's in you. And so we'll talk about what God has placed in us as men. But we went to a restaurant after the meeting, and a couple of our brothers, they went and they had a conversation with someone. And, you know, they were, I, I, I assume they were trying to evangelize this guy. And so they were talking to him, and the conversation went like, you know, I, 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 it took three of them. There were three of them over there by the end of the thing. And the guy was just really smart, right? He seemed really smart, he, I, he, or he seemed to think he knew a lot right? Something like that. He could talk, right? So the point is, no matter what the, our guys were saying to him, he wasn't going to be convinced of his need for Jesus. But can I tell you something? One moment where he encounters the glory of God will change all of his perspective. One moment where he encounters the glory of God will change all of his perspective. I was looking, and for some of you, I mean, this is public information, so I mean, I'm not, I'm not like squealing on anyone. But if you were on Facebook, you saw our sister Anna. She had an amazing post, right? Beautiful about what the women are doing. Can we give God a hand of praise, what he's doing among the women as well? God is doing some great stuff. And so, beautiful, she posts. And then, you know, you see a, 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 a person there that comments, and they have some, you know, some comments that, you know, weren't necessarily edifying or anything like that. And that person should be on your prayer list. Amen? I'm just saying, right? That's what should happen. You shouldn't get offended because the person's not a believer. They should act like that, right? But here's what I want you to know. When we look at situations like that, I was just like that. I was like that guy that knew everything. I was like that guy that was posting craziness, that was mocking um, Christianity. And guess what? Jesus knocked me off the proverbial high horse and allowed me to encounter his glory. And I want you to know that we need to really believe that God wants to do things in our day. That we really need to believe that we're not like the frozen chosen. Are you here? And I know, it's, I know it's a little cold, but that's not what I'm talking about, right? You're like, it is, we are the frozen chosen right now. Well, we're thawing out, okay? It's going to get hot in here in a moment. They turn the AC up for you. But here's the reality. We are, we are not serving a dead God. Are you, are you hearing me? We're not serving a God that used to reveal himself, and now he just hopes we can figure it out for ourselves. Are, are you hearing me? We're, we're, we're not serving a God that doesn't care about what's going on. We don't, we don't serve a God that created everything and then went back and took a seat in heaven somewhere and said, look, they can figure these things out for themselves. That isn't the God that we serve. We serve a God who is actively involved in our lives, and that God is a great and glorious God. And so in our days, we need the glory of God. And as God's children we have been who have been changed by the grace of God, we must believe that God is willing to reveal himself for the purpose of bringing glory to his name and the lost to salvation. See, God knows something. The reason why the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, right? He, it's the power of God that brings salvation. The reason why Paul said that is because when you preach the gospel, power accompanies it. 
It's not a dead message. The reason why I remind you weekly of this gospel that all men are sinful, that all men are separated from God because of their sin, that all men are on their way to an eternity in hell if they do not turn from their sin, that no man can save himself, that no man can do enough good things in order to earn favor with God. The reason why I remind you of that is not because I want to depress you, but I want to remind you of the power that occurred on that cross. I want to remind you that while everyone is hopeless and helpless before they come to Jesus, that if they will come to Jesus, if they will turn from their sin, if they will repent, if they will confess their need, if they will recognize that Jesus did come in the form of a man, that God Almighty became man, walked on this earth, lived a perfect life, and then he was crucified for our sin. He suffered in our place so that way what? So that way we would not have to experience eternity in hell separated from God but that we could experience eternity with God. But God doesn't want us just to look, look forward to tomorrow. When we did communion, we talk about three things. We talk about the death of Jesus, which brings us into relationship, but we also talk about something that's very important, and that is the resurrection, the life of Jesus that brings us into relationship now with God. God doesn't want us to just look forward to tomorrow and have no hope today. He wants to fill our hearts with hope. He wants to give us new life because while we are sinners and we are separated from from God, when we repent and put faith in Jesus, God no longer sees us as his enemies. Hello, somebody. But he sees us as his sons, as his daughters, as his children, and as those who he had, whom he has redeemed by his blood whom he has washed clean by his blood, whom he, has, whom he has made righteous by his blood, and now he gives us right standing with him. But see, we have to recognize this gospel. We have to know that there is power in that. That message needs to be preached continuously. Every opportunity that we have, we need to share that truth because that is the only truth, my friends, that is going to change people's lives. It's not trying to get someone to intellectually concede to your points. That'll make someone say, yeah, they were right, but I really don't care why because their heart was not changed. But the heart is changed when the gospel is preached. And we need to believe that if we will be faithful with this gospel, that God will show up and reveal his glory unto mankind. Hello. Our God wants to bring change to lives. And so we see in this story here, in this, in, in this historical event of this third day. And so we're looking at the third day. And the third day after his, his first five disciples started following him is when this occurs. And so it says on the third day, there was a wedding. And Cain of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And so it brings us into the first place where Jesus chooses to do his first miracle. And people will make a, a, a lot of big deal, you know, in, in wedding ceremonies. Sometimes they talk about Jesus sanctifying the wedding ceremony in and of itself and all of that because he was present at a wedding. And look, that's all good, maybe, maybe so. But that's not the big point in this, in, in this, in, in this outline here that we have of what happened in this day. The fact is that Jesus was here on this third day. And so I ask you to repeat this after me. Say, we have no hope of seeing the glory of God if Jesus is not invited. We have no hope of seeing the glory of God if Jesus is not invited. We live in a day that we need to see the glory of God. We live in a day where we need to experience the power, the deliverance that there is in our God. But can I tell you something? If Jesus is not invited to the party, there's no hope. 
If Jesus is not welcome to the party, there is no hope of seeing the glory of God manifest. You see, we don't know how Jesus got invited to, 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 to the party, but he did. And I want you to notice something else. It says, now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And so we don't know how Jesus got invited. Some people think that it might have been a family member. Could be. Some people think that they were invited because of his mom. Could be. Some people think that it was, you know, um, because of Nathaniel. It could be. There's a lot of could be's in there. It really doesn't matter. The point is Jesus was invited. See, because it's, it's just like our lives, all right? There's a bunch of different reasons why Jesus gets invited. The big question is, has he been invited? You see, you know, different people are in different places. Some people invited Jesus into their life because they were going through a marital situation and they were like at their last hope. They had no more hope. And so what did they do? They invited Jesus. Well, you know what? They might have invited Jesus to fix their marriage. What happened was Jesus fixed their life. Jesus fixed their heart. Didn't give them a perfect life, but gave them a transformed heart. Gave them a new way of thinking. Some of us came to Jesus because we had drug addiction problems. Some of us came to Jesus because we had other issues that were going on in our lives. Some of us just recognized that there was an emptiness that was going on inside of us, and we invited Jesus because we didn't know anywhere else to turn. The, but but the, the, the question is not how Jesus got invited. The question for you to answer is, have you really invited Jesus? Have you really invited him? Have you really welcomed him? And see, there's two groups of people in here all the time. Every time we come together, those who are Jesus followers, those who are children of Jesus, and those who are not. And see, here's the thing. Both of us need to make sure that we are inviting Jesus. See, one of us needs to invite Jesus because we're on that side of the cross on our way to hell. That's the one that does not know Jesus. The other one over here that knows Jesus, don't just think that Jesus just comes everywhere because you go. Well, I showed up, so Jesus must be there. Uh-uh. Well, I'm here, so Jesus, because I'm the real. Hold on a second. It says this is not about you. This is about Jesus, right? Amen? And so we need to make sure that Jesus is invited if we plan to see his glory. Can I tell you something? No, there's a couple of things here. See, because one thing is this. Some of us want the blessing of Jesus, but we don't want the presence of Jesus. Some of us want everything that the Bible offers us. We want all of the life. The person they were talking to yesterday, he said it like this. He was a universalist, okay, according to what Pastor Chad told me, it, meaning that he believes that all gods are really Jesus. They just have different names, right? And so he was saying he was trusting in Jesus, but he believed that all gods were the same. So that tells me what? He wasn't really trusting in Jesus. He was calling his God Jesus, but that wasn't the Jesus of the Bible because if he's trusting in the Jesus of the Bible, guess what? There was one way, one real Jesus. Hello. Not a couple of different ones, there was one. And so what we have here is some people, this guy, he was trusting. He wanted the blessings. He wanted the blessings that come with following Jesus, but he didn't want Jesus for real. See, another thing that happens to us sometimes is that we, we, we don't, we, we'll, we'll take Jesus, but we don't want his companions. Are you hearing me? See, for some of you, when you talk about connect, you're like, I don't need people. You're lying to yourself. Because you don't even realize it. Yes, you do. See, some of us, we're cool with Jesus. We just can't stand his people. We, we, are, we are okay hanging out with Jesus, o -o according to us. We're good. I mean, let's, let's hang out with Jesus all day long. I'll pray. I'll, I'll read the Bible. I'll work, whatever, all of that stuff. But Jesus' people, uh. But notice what the text says. The text says Jesus and his companions. Jesus and his disciples. See, Jesus is not going to just walk away from his people because you don't like them. Hello. Are you hearing me? 
See, we, we, have to, we have to get back to this, this understanding, this, this, this ecclesiology, this doctrine of the church where we realize that the church is not a building that we walk into. The church is not a place that we came to that started at 1030. The church is every person who walks in the doors. See, we are the church, and we need one another. We need each other. And listen, Jesus is the head of his body. He is not just walking around headless. Hello. We want Jesus, then we're going to have to invite his people. That means we're going to have to have the right heart. We're going to have to have the ability to forgive. Hello. We're going to have, the, have to have the ability to confront in love. Hello. We're going to have to have the ability and the willingness to grow into maturity in Christ. I'm just saying those things are going to have to happen because if not, you're going to be really disliking God's people. Hello. Because can I tell you something? I said it. We are all sinners. We are born into sin. And I'm still waiting for the person to tell me what happens to our sinful nature because there's some people that believe we're not sinners anymore. But I'm just saying, I still have flesh. Hello. Just saying. So if someone can let me know what happens to that, then we can talk about another doctrine. But at, at this point, what I understand is that we're all sinners and, and God doesn't see us as his enemies. But here's the thing. You know what happens when sinners get together? They offend each other. They, they irritate one another, right? They, sometimes they say things or do things that, ah, that wasn't so nice or that wasn't so right. And then you know what? You know what? This is what we decide. Here's what I'm going to do. Just to, just to save myself the heartache, I'm going to just, you know, keep them arms, arms, arms distance. I'm not, I'm not really going to get intimate with them, right? I'm not really going to have relationship with them. Listen, but what are you doing? Jesus, I want you, not them. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm with them. They're with me. You want me? You got to have them. Hello. Y'all don't want to hear that. <laughs> I mean, you got to love me whether you want to or not. Amen. This is how it is. I have to love you too. Amen. Glory to God. We have to love one another. We have to care about one another. Because what? This is about the glory of God. And God is going to manifest his glory through himself and through his church. As believers, we must ensure that in all that we do, our greatest focus is pleasing Jesus. The vision of Faith Elma Fellowship is what? It is to please God. Say to please God. If, every, if anyone ever asks you, what is the vision? What is the driving force? What is the reason for the existence of Faith Elma Fellowship? It is because we live to please God. That is it. We want to please God above everything else. Everything that we want to do, the filter of all that we do or don't do, goes through that mindset. Does this please the Lord? Are we perfect at it? Absolutely not. Hello. Have we arrived? Definitely not. But we are continuing to grow and be sanctified. But here's the reality. Our focus must be on pleasing Jesus because making room for him to be the most honored guest to every activity of our lives. Think about that for a moment. Everything you do in your life, do you make sure that Jesus is the most honored guest or are you more concerned about other people being comfortable? In everything you do in your life, in every area, is Jesus really the honored guest? The one who really gets the front row seat. The one who really gets the honor that everyone knows that it really, your life is really about him. See, that's a big question, church, that we have to wrestle with. Does that, do I make sure that when I'm planning my own party that Jesus is invited? That Jesus wouldn't be offended being part of that gathering? Listen, Jesus is not offended by sinners. 
Jesus is not offended by, you know, certain things that we would think are offensive. I won't go down the list, but here's the thing. Do you consider him first and foremost above everything else? Because if we want to see the glory of God, we need to make sure that Jesus is invited. When Jesus is, see, this is the beauty of this. I love verse 3. Because it says here, it says that his mother, they, they ran out of wine, and his mother comes to him and tells him they have no more wine. Here's what you got to realize. When Jesus is the honored guest in our lives, he makes our issues his issues. Are you hearing me? Isn't that an awesome reality to think about? When Jesus is the honored guest in our lives, when Jesus is the honored guest in our marriage, when Jesus is the honored guest in our finances, when Jesus is the honored guest even in our work scenario, when Jesus is the honored guest in our families, in our homes, and when he is the honored guest, what he does is he makes our issues his issues. Because you know what you do? You make your issues his issues. Well, God, Bishop said, and I believe him, I got to love your people. That's your issue. Deal with them, deal with me. Hello. Right? That's, that's his issue now. He's the one. He's like, I mean, think about it. God, you chose them. Hello. If it was me, I would have chose some different people, but you chose them. So they're your issue. I would have definitely not chose her or him, but you said, that you chose, you're, you, I don't, Jesus, why'd you pick them? Right? But there, it's your issue, Jesus, because you know what? You're, you're my guest, and I want you to be invited, and so I'm going to love them, but you're going to have to deal with my heart. And you know what the beautiful thing is? God is able to deal with your heart, and he's able to deal with them as well. He's able to make things the way that they're supposed to be. Does that mean perfect? Absolutely not. It just means that we can walk in unity because of what? Because of who Jesus is. And in this scenario, Jesus, there was an issue at this party that Jesus was invited to, and there was no one else there who was going to be able to deal with the issue except Jesus. You know what our problem is in our life many times? It's that we're turning to everyone else to deal with our problems instead of turning to Jesus. We're turning to everyone else that is incapable. They're incapable of fixing the issues. They're incapable of doing anything about the problem, and yet we're... Talk, 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 talk to we're blue in the face. We keep talking, keep talking, keep talking, keep grumbling, keep complaining. And you know what we need to do? We need to turn to who? Jesus. Jesus. Turn to him. He's the one that's able to deal with the issues. Second thing, I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we have no hope, have no hope. Of, seeing of seeing the glory of God, glory of God. if Jesus, Jesus is not obeyed. Let's look at verses four through eight. It says here, then Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And so we pause out. We were reading that earlier, right? And some of you laughed because you were like, boy, if my child ever said woman to me. Mm-hmm. That might be the last time he ever says that word. But the truth is, when you look further on in this gospel, you're going to find something. When Jesus is on the cross, he uses the same term. He says, woman, thy son. So it wasn't a disrespectful, it was a general term that was utilized, and obviously in the Greek it probably sounds better or, you know, than it does when we read it in English. But nonetheless, it, it, it couldn't have been something that was disrespectful because of what? Jesus was pointing out, it was abrupt, don't get it twisted. It was an abrupt cu communication because he's like, when he said woman, that wasn't the issue. What came next was like, yo, why, why are you making this my problem? But you know what? His mom knew who to go to. His mom knew who to have the conversation with. His mom knew who could fix what was going on. And so she goes to him, and then the next thing that he says, it says, my hour is not yet come. So he's communicating, and he's saying, listen, my hour is not. In other words, it's not time for me to be crucified. It's not time for me to be revealed in that way publicly. 
But look at what Jesus, look, 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 what, look what she does. I, I love what she, what she says because after he says that, most people are like, man, he didn't want to do anything. He didn't want to have anything to do with this. And verse 5 says, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Like, yo, mom, did you just hear me? See, but every mom in here is like, yeah, that's, that's right. Just whatever he says, just do it. That's my boy. I know, right? Like, like, like he, Jesus is still honoring his mom, right? He's still honoring and being submissive. And so she's just like, he's going to do it. Whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. See, here's the thing. If you and I are not willing to obey Jesus, we're never going to see the glory of God. If we are not willing to do what God calls us to do, we'll never see his glory. It goes on to say, now there were seven, now, now there were, there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, notice he said, he said, he said to them, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And so everything that Jesus says for them to do, they do. They don't question it. Mary, she didn't even stutter. I mean, immediately he says, mom, it's not my hour. And she said, whatever he says to do, do it. And he's like, okay. See those water pots? Fill them up. They go, fill them up. He says, okay, now draw some out. They drew some out. Now take it to the guy who's the master of the feast. They take, there was no questioning what God said. Can I tell you something? Why, why is it so important? And why, why do we put such a big emphasis on the word of God, meaning the Bible? Why do we do that? Because there is no reason to question obedience to the word of God. You see, when I tell you to do something, you may, you may have a question, right? I'm not, I'm not the sovereign authority. I'm not the sovereign God, right? I'm, I'm, I'm fallible. I'm not the Pope. I'm sorry if you're Catholic. I don't mean to offend you, right? I don't just make it up. I'm just, the reality is that I'm a man just like anyone else in this room. And so when I say something, if it doesn't align with the scriptures or you don't know that it's in there, it, it, it behooves of you to do what? To do like the Bereans did. They went to what? They went and checked the scriptures to see if it was right. So if I'm telling you something and you're like, man, that doesn't feel right to me, go to the text. That's all you got to do. And if the Bible says it, then you have to obey it, not because I said it, but because God breathed it. You see, the reason why the word of God is the highest authority is because there is no reason to question when God is speaking to you. You simply obey. And see, there's many of us that say that we want to see the glory of God, yet we are unwilling to yield to, the, to, to, to obedience to the word of God. And I want you to know something. You and I are not going to see the glory of God the way that God would manifest himself if we are not committed to obeying what the word of God teaches. While, while, um, while Jesus um, may have seemed to deny his mother's request for assistance, she doesn't stutter but tells the servants the most vital principle if you want to see the glory of God. Whatever he says, say that with me, whatever he says. Whatever he says. Not some of what he says. Not, not, not contemplate it. Not think about can you obey. Because there's so many different reasons. Some of us were like, man, I don't know if I can obey that. If God said it, his grace is sufficient to enable you to obey it. Nobody ever said obedience was going to be easy, but it is possible. Whatever he says, the most important thing that we can get is that whatever he says, do it. Can I tell you something, church? 
I say this often, but I want you to realize this. God does not expect perfection from us, but he expects obedience of us. He does not expect us to be perfect. He understands that we are human beings. He understands that we still battle a fallen nature, even with his grace, even with his spirit dwelling in us. He understands that we will fall short. That's not a question. He's not, a fa- or he's not intimidated by that reality. But what he does expect is that our heart of hearts is set on what? Obeying what he communicates. That our heart of hearts is set on obedience to what his word teaches. We need to be those kind of people that say, God, if your word says it, I want to do what it is. See, God is willing to show us more of his glory, but we must be faithful with what he has made plain to us. In doing so, I love this. We may just be the carriers of miracles, and we don't even realize it. I want you to think about the text here, because when you look at the text, and you'll see it when we read the rest of the chapter, but you're going to notice something. It says this. It says that there were water pots there. Jesus said, fill them to the brim. They filled them to the brim. Then he said, draw some out. They drew some out, and then he said, take it to the master of the ceremony, and they, or the master of the feast. He, they take it to the master of the feast, and if you read later down here, you'll see in a moment, it says that they drew water out. It didn't say that when they pulled out, when they drew out, it didn't say they drew out wine. That isn't what it said. It says that they drew the water. They drew water out. So you know what they did? They were there. They thought it was just something simple. They were like, all right, we're going, we're going to do it. She said, whatever he says to do, do. So we're going to do it. They walked over there. They, it, it, it never tells us when the water became wine. All it tells us is that they drew it. They walked over to the master of the feast. And then when the master of the feast sipped it, he was like, man, this is the best wine ever. These guys thought they were just carrying water, but they were literally carrying a miracle. And can I tell you something? You and I have to realize that by our simple acts of obedience, when we obey God, we can be the conduits for the greatest miracles that bring the revelation of the glory of God. See, some of us, we get so, so frustrated with the mundane, just the everyday, day-to-day, being obedient. You know, just being a good husband can be bringing a miracle to someone else's life who desperately needs the what? The revelation of God, that God is able to do what? To heal broken marriages. That can simply be because you are obedient, doing what God commands us to do. Obedience. Walking in obedience. See, what happens for us is that we need to realize that God still wants to manifest his glory. And you know what he does it through? He does it through obedient servants. Obedient servants. Notice it was the servants that were carrying this blessing. It wasn't the high and mighty. It was the servants that were carrying this. The third thing here is say, we have no hope of seeing the glory of God if we aren't paying attention. We have no hope of seeing the glory of God if we're not paying attention. You see, you would think, right, that everybody saw this miracle and it was amazing. But notice this. The servants were the ones who were carrying the water that turned to wine brought it to the feast, to, to, to the master of the feast. They were the ones that carried it there. And, th- and it doesn't say that they believed, does it? Let's read it together. It says here, when the master of the feast, verse 9, it says, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants knew who had drawn the water. Hello. 
See what I said? They drew water. That's what, that's what the Bible, not me, that's what the Bible says. Had drawn the water new. They knew it. They were like, yeah, we knew where this came from. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. So we have servants. They saw the miracle or they were witnesses to what happened. The master of the feast, he experienced the miracle. The bridegroom, he received credit for the miracle. Hello. Look at this. It says, and he said to him, it's the master of the feast speaking to the bridegroom, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, in other words, once they're drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning, the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. See, here's the thing. The same way that the light is always shining and God is always speaking, so God is always moving, but many people miss his manifestation. See, Jesus was at this feast. Jesus was at this wedding. He was there. He was the one who solved the problem. And just so you know a little bit of history, this is important to know is that when you look at this whole, this whole marriage ceremony and the reason why Mary comes, because in those days, you know, we have a, a wedding that lasts a few hours, right? The wedding itself lasts maybe 30 minutes to an hour, depending on who's doing the, the ceremony and what you have involved in it all. And then when you go to the reception, the reception, you know, lasts for a couple of hours or whatever, and then you go home. These people had real parties, all right? These people partied for a week at a wedding, okay? And so they were, they were serious. That's why it says when they have well drunk, meaning they've been drinking all week, hello, Right? And so on the third day of this, you know, this scenario, you know, they're, they're running out of wine. And what it was is it was a big time embarrassment if you ran out of wine during this feast. To the degree, it wasn't just an embarrassment. You could be fined. Talk about messed up. If you ran out of wine, you could be fined. In other words, you could be sued. That's crazy. You come to my feast and I run out of wine, you're going to sue me. But this is the reality of the way that that culture was. <laughs> crazy. And so they're having this feast here. It's not Jesus' problem. You know, Jesus wasn't the bridegroom of that wedding in particular. He is the bridegroom, though. Hello. And what happens is these people are going to be ridiculed and mocked, and Jesus decides by his grace. Not because he had to. You see, you see this beautiful picture of grace. Not because he had to. But he went ahead and he does what? He goes and he creates and performs this great, glorious miracle. And guess what? A whole bunch of people missed it. The servants who were carrying the miracle, they missed it. The bridegroom, he didn't even know what was going on. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't even know if the bridegroom knew they were running out of wine. But maybe he was so drunk too that he was just like, all right, whatever. It's great. The best wine for last. All right. What a, you know, he, he was there. He didn't say, man, I don't know nothing about that. That wasn't my choice. But the reality is the bridegroom wasn't changed. The servants weren't changed. The, the master of the feast wasn't changed. The only people that were changed were the one, were, were what? It was the disciples. The ones who already had faith. The ones who already believed because they were with him. But they were the ones who, who it says they believed. So what was God doing? God was adding to their faith through this act. That's what he was doing. He was manifesting his glory, the revelation of who he was. And when we talk about the revelation of the glory of God, yesterday it was hilarious at the men's event. Erwin um, McManus, he was the, the keynote speaker. And as he was speaking, he had us all cracking up because he was talking about this, this tension that is there. You know, when people say thank you to you, right? They say thank you for something that you did. And then you're like, you know, no, man, it wasn't me. It was God. And he's like, well, I think if God did it, it'd be a little better. 
right? Like, like someone went and saying, he, he used this example, he's like, someone went and saying something and you said, thank you. And they were like, no, man, that was all God. And he's like, man, God can't sing. So, you know, he was pointing out, you know, this, this, this difficulty, right, that, you know, people have sometimes, and I've talked to you guys about that. It's not about being falsely humble. You can say thank you, but you give glory to God. It's not about you. I mean, ultimately, it's about glorifying God because of what? Because he empowered you or enabled you to do it. And so, you know, the truth is that when, you know, when, when, we're, when we're looking at, you know, this story here, you know, this guy, you know, the, the, bride, the bridegroom, you know, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what, you know, what had happened, you know, as far as this, you know, giving glory to God. But Jesus reveals himself. He reveals himself for what? So that way his disciples could know him better. So his disciples could grow in their faith. So his disciples could experience what? They could experience his glory. You see, when we talk about his glory, what Erwin McManus was talking about when he's saying, you know, God can't sing, or he's saying, I think that God would have done it better, is that when we talk about the glory of God, we are talking about an undeniable pointing to Jesus. That there is no question, that wasn't him, that wasn't him, that was him. When we talk about the glory of God, see, for my life, there's no question. The revelation of God came, and I know that it was God who spoke to me. It wasn't anyone else. It was God who revealed himself to me. It was no one else. You see, and when I'm talking about us seeking and asking God to reveal his glory, it is that God would unmistakably undeniably show up in situations where it had to be God and no one else can get the glory. You see, but for us as disciples, it's important that we are what? That we are paying attention because you know what? When you look at this, this miracle here, you know what? This is a great miracle and it says it was the glory of God. And you would think, right? Because when you look at the Old Testament glory of God, this is the idea. The idea is when the glory of God came into the temple, you know what everybody did? Everybody fell down. Everybody fell down or they couldn't enter the temple because the glory of God was so weighty. It's called the kabod of God. The weight of God's presence was so amazing. And when he talks about he revealed or manifested his glory, he's saying the weight of his glory. But it's funny because a whole bunch of people missed the weight of his glory. Five people benefited from the weight of his glory. There was only five people there. They benefited from this because they were paying attention. They were intimate. They were devoted. They were following him. And so it was important for us as Jesus' disciples to do what? To make sure that we are paying attention to what God is doing so that way we can grow in our faith, but also so we can point others to his glory and also so we can be sure to give him glory that is due his name. See, we got to pay attention when God is moving because sometimes God moves in these subtle ways. People don't even realize that he's moving. People don't even realize what he's doing. They don't, even, they don't even realize that it's him. There's a story that my pastor used to always share. I've probably heard the story about four or five times. And he used to say that there was this old lady. She lived next to this atheist. And she was praying, crying out to God. I guess they lived like, you know, an apartment, something like that. Crying out to God, you know, saying, God, I need provision. You know, she, she needed food and she didn't have anything. And, you know, she's praying. And every day, every day, this guy's hearing her pray. <laughs> And then one day he finally says, you know what, I need to shut this woman up. He's like, so I'm going to go and buy some groceries. So he goes and he buys some groceries. He knocks on her door. She comes to the door. You know, he, uh, you know, he opens the door. He's like, here, here's some groceries. And she's like, praise God, he used the devil. <laughs> shut up. 
God even used the devil. The point of the matter is, is that in that, you know, that, that story's probably not true. But the reality is that in that scenario, right, you know, you going and you could just do something simple like that. And that is what? The glory of God. Just being faithful and being obedient and pointing to who? Pointing to the one who is your motivation. My motivation is not me. My, my motivation is Jesus. I want to bring him glory. So as I'm closing this message, I want, to, I want you to think about this. We talked about, you know, making room for Jesus. And so my question is this. Is Jesus your honored guest? Is he your guest of honor? For those of you that don't know him, have you put your faith in him? And if you haven't, then what are you waiting for? Jesus died a bloody death so that way you could have salvation, so that way you could be born again, so you could have a new life. The second thing is, or the second person is, if you are a Christian, is Jesus your guest of honor at all things? The second thing is, is your obedience increasing? Are you becoming a person who is more um, yielded to obedience to the scriptures, or are you still just living how you want to live and hoping that Jesus blesses you anyway? See, because in our days, you know, we hear about grace, and listen, I'm a firm believer in grace. I could, I could testify to you about how, how much God does for me and through me and how unworthy I am. I could, I could let you know. I could, I could write a list, a book for you. Hello. I will, I will spare the time, and I won't do that. But here's the truth. I believe in God's grace, and I know that God sometimes, and I mean, there's been times that I've, that I've preached my best sermons, and I prayed the least. Hello. I know that you, you felt like I'm really unspiritual now. It's okay. You're wondering right now, did he pray this week? Yes, I prayed. Maybe not as much as you wanted me to, but I prayed, hello. Did I seek Jesus? Of course I did. But here's the reality. I've seen God move. And so I believe in God's grace because I realized just like the apostles did when they did the miracle, they were like, look, man, it wasn't us. It's not because of our holiness. It is because of what? It is because of the name of Jesus. I believe in that. But there's, there's a wrong mindset. People walk around nowadays and they think that grace is some cheap ticket to live how you want to live and you're covered. There will be many people who will be sadly disappointed who were living under that false umbrella of security who will stand before God and he will say, part from me, I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. Are you growing in your obedience? And just like this last portion, paying attention to the glory of God, are you growing in your faith? You see, if there's one thing that I would say that, I, that, that we need to get out of this message, the greatest thing that you should take away from this message is that God cares about every detail of our lives and will use the seemingly most insignificant things to manifest himself most significantly. See, the most insignificant thing, like to us, we're looking at water turning to wine. Why is it even a big deal? Well, it was a big deal to the guy who was the bridegroom because he could have been sued. He could have been fined for that. He could have been embarrassed. He would have been, a, uh, you know, a point of ridicule in the, in the town. And you know what? It wasn't even Jesus' problem, but his grace caused Jesus to do what? To step in and fix the situation. God cares about every single thing that's going on in our lives. The other thing that you should realize is that when you look at this, um, the, this wine running out, there's, there, there's a good parallelism here, and one of them is very simple. It is this, is that the same way that sin will leave you empty is the same way that that wine runs out. The same way, see, you live in sin thinking that you're going to fill this void. You live how you want to live, and you think this void is going to be filled, and you know what? You're just left empty, left wanting. And what you need is for Jesus to do what? To fill that void in your life. See, for us as believers, you can sit there and you can act like you don't need Jesus, but the truth of the matter is, is that we all need what? 
We all need that grace of God to continuously be replenished in our hearts because we begin to deplete. As we live our lives, we start to focus on other things. But if we'll allow Jesus to continue to fill, if we continue to make him our guest of honor, if we continue to pay attention to what he's doing, if we continue to walk in obedience, and you know what happens? The wine in our lives doesn't, over, doesn't run out. It overflows. Amen. That's what God wants for us. Amen? Amen? Stand to your feet and let's pray together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here. And I just want you to think for a moment, I mean... If Jesus is not Lord of your life, today's the day that you can make him Lord of your life. If he's not, the, he's not your honored guest in everything, today's the day that you can do that. And so what we want to do is we're going to sing a song. Fill them with renewed faith, renewed strength, God. Father, where the wine in their lives may be running out or running low, God, may you renew them that they would overflow, Lord God, with the new wine that is a product of the new covenant with you. Lord, we surrender to you. We pray for your great grace. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar area is open. If you want to come.